Welcome to Massive Late Fee. And now your hosts, Mark and Carol. Well, hello everybody. Welcome back to Massive Late Fee. My name is Mark. With me as always is my one-hit wonder girlfriend, Carol. <laughs> Don't say Carol. Hey, what's up? Not much. It's been a good week here. It's December 6th, 1997. Does that mean that soon you're going to stop with the... Oh, uh... Yes. Almost a day that lived in infamy. What do you mean? December 7th, 1941, you know? You don't... You don't that's when Pearl Harbor was attacked. Oh, uh, okay. Cool. And then Roosevelt gave that speech. December 7th, 1941. Sorry, I don't... A date which will live in infamy. Planes from the Empire of Japan... I don't have a photographic memory like uh, Goodwill Hunting, so I'm sorry about that. I'm I don't remember really when sorry. Pearl Harbor happened. Yep. Well, I do. Sorry. Congratulations. Yes, I'm going to stop with the superlatives soon, and I'm running out of them. I know. Every time there's a longer pause, while you try to figure it out. That's why this bit must die. <laughs> I don't know why it started, when it started. Like all good bits, its origin is. Shrouded in mystery. Go back, other tapes, and try to figure it out. But you know what I'm trying to figure out, Carol? What, Mark? Why Ally McBeal is so fucking popular. That's a very good question. Callista Flockhart. She looks like she needs an Ally McMeal. Yes. Because she's very thin. She is. Waif-like. like skeleton-looking. There are rumors... I think completely unfounded about maybe some anorexia or something like that. But I think that's mean, to be honest with you. I think Callista Flockhart just happens to be one of those people whose natural body fat percentage is super low. They exist. Maybe. Why is it mean for people to be concerned? It's mean because they're spreading rumors like, oh, she's uh, anorexic and stuff, when they have no idea. They don't know. Maybe they do. Talking about somebody's body. I mean, yeah, that's rude. She was in an after-school special once where she played an anorexic. Oh, really? (laughs) Yes. Actually, I think she was a a bulimic Mm. because she had a a closet full of jars with her vomit. Ew, 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 ew. She saved it. Oh. And she died in that in that after school special. I remember. I think it was on. I don't know, Hobo or something like that. HBO. I. I, I, I oh, you speak. got it. You can speak me now. Yeah. I'm just <laughs> sorry. I'm just a little traumatized over here with the vomit jars. Anyway, this article says Allie gets such good buzz that minor roles win fame. Buzz, buzz. <laughs> it's Allie McBeal. You know, a TV show is creating a real pop culture buzz when even fringe characters have their own websites. And the stylish Love It or Loathe It new Fox drama series about a frequently perplexed female attorney has even transformed the show's goofy dancing twins <laughs> into cyber celebrities. Ugh, and that is awful. The baby? Th- uh, yeah, uh, I think it's funny. Played by Steve and Eric Cohen... The hygienically dressed dancing twins are grinning, hip-swinging regulars at the bar where Allie, Callista Flockhart, and her pals hang out. Fans can track down photos and biographical information on the Dizzy Disco siblings at members.aol.com slash Allie twins. <laughs> 
But Allie McBeal hasn't merely sprinkled magic dust on the kooky Coens. Folk rocker Vonda Shepard, the piano-playing pop chanteuse, uh, who performs the show's theme song, has also been in the buzz bin. Of course, it helps that Shepard makes regular singing appearances in the trendy saloon where Allie and the dancing twins practice their relaxation skills. Probably doesn't hurt her CD sales either. <laughs> anyway. Uh, the fuck? Yeah. I, it's just the, the way this article's written. You know, it's Mike Duffy. You know how you know how he is. I, I do, and I've never found him to sound like a 1920s villain before. Swat say, <laughs> Ali McBeal. So have you have you have you seen? I already know the answer, but have you seen Ali McBeal? I mean, like an episode or two, sure. Not There's, much. you know, that Courtney Thorne Smith is in it. She's mm. the one from Melrose Place. Okay. And some dude named Gil Bellows. They're also attorneys. What a name. At law. Gil Bellows. With its sly comic wit, Allie McBeal shrewdly explores office politics, romantic angst, and the odd conflicted world of male and female friendships. But then I joined Allie's army from the start. Well, okay. So anyway, uh, it's Allie McBeal. It's got get given four stars out of four stars. Wow. They're a real fan, huh? Yeah. Here's some TV. I am not a real fan. No, Sorry. I'm not either. Here's some TV this week. Touched by a dolphin. Uh, what? In the actual fuck? Did the it's TV a, guy bleed together and like create a whole new thing? It's a Dateline special. Touched by it. Where did the dolphin touch you, Timmy? That sounds so inappropriate. Flipper alert. This wildlife special travels from Honduras to the Great Bahamas, or the Grand Bahamas, to Australia to celebrate the dolphin for its beauty and intelligence. Actress Sharon Lawrence, a sea mammal maven, is the designated sea diving celebrity. It's really called touched by a dolphin. That's so fucked up. Which is even weirder when you know anything about dolphins and they apparently are fucking horny and will... Yeah, they, they rape people. Yeah, it's weird. It's gross. I don't want to be touched by a dolphin. <laughs> I have no desire to swim with the dolphins. Like, I mean, sure, I guess it'd be kind of cool to see them, but right. I don't want them you don't to want touch touched, me. Yeah. No. No. No caviar, thank you. We know what their porpoise is. Uh... <laughs> Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. That's Had a very shiny nose? No, the, the actual thing's going to be on the, the 1960s thing. Oh, I like that one. Jenny. Jenny McCarthy's dopey freshman chick-com joins NBC's generally lame ladies of Monday night only. Generally lame? This is Mike Duffy. Wow. Uh, let's see. Maggie, Heather Page, finds out. That her gorgeous blind date happens to have a hunky brother for Jenny. Naturally, the girls get all caught up in the complicated lie, which leads to slap sh- slapstick Slap what now? Yeah. <laughs> the Christmas List. Mimi Rogers and Marla Maples. No thanks. And then Brooklyn South. What's Brooklyn South about? It's a TV show. I don't fucking know. Okay. Why are we talking about it? It's on. (laughs) (laughs) Lots of things are on. Yeah, I don't want to read any more about it, to be honest with you. 
I thought about it, but then I decided, no, I don't need to read that. Okay. Brooklyn South, figure it out. If you don't know, well, it probably will get canceled soon. <laughs> and if you do know, then, you know, you're in the know and we're not. Congratulations. All right. And then I've got one more story here. Fledgling Networks lineups bank on youth okay. for viewers. So they're banking on us. We're the youth of America. We're the kids in America. Oh. Sure, Grandpa. Sure. The WB and Michigan J Frog is hungry for young viewers. No, 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 Michigan. And so the Warner Brothers Baby Network, which introduces a new night of programming on Tuesday starting January 20th, is banking on the teeny bopper tag team allure of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Hell yeah. And something called Dawson's Creek. Yeah, I heard about that. I want to watch it. Buffy has already attracted considerable youth culture attention on Monday nights with its hip, satiric mix of humor and horror in a high school setting. Dawson's Creek, created by hot screenwriter Kevin Williamson of Scream, and I know what you did last summer, Fame, who's also, I assume, wrote Scream 2, which we're, we're going to see. Yeah, I think next week. Yeah. He explores the suburban lives of four teenagers growing up near Boston. Sounds fucking scintillating. It does, actually. The, the two dramas will air back to back. It is See how is, easy it'll be? Is Buffy a drama? Mm, suspense? I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. The two dramas will air back to back 8 to 10 p.m. Tuesdays. Another new WB series. The action drama 3 moves into the old Buffy time slot at 9 p.m. on Monday. But see, so it'll be easy. We'll just watch them both. And then we can talk about them both, one right after another. Oh, we're going to talk about Dawson's Creek. Sorry, I had to look at the title. At least the first one. Dawson's Creek. Who's Dawson? I don't know. We'll find out. It's just the name of the creek. Uh, No, because the way it's written sounds more like ownership. Yeah, it's Dawson's Creek. Hmm. It's like Miller's Crossing. There's no apostrophe there. Uh, (laughs) While the major networks slug it out for adult viewers with Frasier, Home Improvement, and JAG on Tuesday nights, Ugh. WB and its mini-network rival UPN will be competing for teens and 20-somethings. Moesha, a popular sitcom starring teen singer Brandy, which I think we talked about once, yeah, anchors UPM Tuesday night lineup of four comedy series along with Clueless, which we also talked yeah. about. Mal- yeah, exactly. Malcolm and Eddie and In the House. In Detroit, WB is beamed up by... Yeah, we, we know. It's Channel 20 and UPN's Channel 50. That's regional to us, Mike Duffy. We're doing a national show. I'm sorry. We're stealing content from Actually, you to do a national show. An international show. An international show. These we're, tapes make it all over the world. Yeah, I, I saw the other day that we were in like Barbados and uh, fucking Honduras and stuff like that. It's pretty cool. Yeah, Antigua. It's amazing what the Bosnia. internet can uh, can tell you. Yeah, when we get we get people from around the world tell us, "Hey, we're, we're listening in Bosnia." Me and my three friends are listening in Bosnia. So you have four listeners in Bosnia. Thanks, Bosnia. <laughs> you just like to say Bosnia. We have a, a sizable contingent in the United Kingdom. Okay. And Germany. Sup, Germany. Yeah. <laughs> Was ist denn los? 
What the hell does that mean? I asked what was wrong. <laughs> Why are you listening to us? What's wrong? No. Vigets. Tag. Tag. Deutschland. Vigets. What's that? Hello, Germany. How goes it? You say that like I should know. Like, duh. Like, I yeah, don't speak fun. German. Yeah. Hast du etwas Zeit für mich? Okay, no. Mm -mm. Nope. Von nope. I, call, I call shenanigans. And no. I'm singing 99 Love I Balloons. I know what you're doing. So. <laughs> do, 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 do. What? You're so weird. We watched a movie and we it did. wasn't weird. It was awesome. I think it's one of the best movies I've ever seen. So we watched Dawson's Creek. No. We watched Goodwill Hunting. There you go. Here's what I have to say about this, Carol. Yes. I don't know. We haven't really talked about it, so I don't know. I don't know exactly. You said you thought it was awesome mm -hmm. just now, mm -hmm. and you were pretty vociferous about it after we watched the movie. What you would say, boisterous, boisterous? I think is the word you would, you would coined. Okay. Anyway, Gus Van Zandt. Talented director. Sure. Apparently written by Matt Damon and, and who we did uh, like two weeks ago in, in that Rainmaker movie. Mm -hmm. And Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck. Who's been in some Kevin Smith movies. Yeah. I guess Kevin Smith produced this as well. So you've got talent. And they're in the movie. Both those guys. So Gus Van Zandt's a good director. They're... Talented actors, both. Mm -hmm. You've got Robin Williams, absolute powerhouse. Right. Good cinematographer. Everything aligned to make this a good movie, and it just didn't work. What? It just didn't come together. What in the Mini fuck driver, are you talking too. about? Mini Driver, great. But it just didn't come together. What in the fuck are you talking about? What do you mean? It was an amazing movie. What do you mean it didn't come together? Well, what do you think I mean? I think you're just fucking with me is what I think. Are you asking if I'm serious? Yeah. Well, ask it. Are you? No, it was one of the best fucking movies of the year. Exactly. There, it, there are probably five, maybe four or five scenes in this movie. The, the movie as a whole is good. Mm -hmm. But there are... Like I said, maybe four or five scenes in this movie that I would put up there with the best scene in a movie mm -hmm. in the last 40 years Wow, or so. Okay. And there's five of them. Wow. They're, they're, like, the movie as a whole is really good. Everything is kind of really cohesively drawn together. Mm-hmm. But there's like five standout scenes that are almost mini movies in of and of, of themselves. Okay. Because of the emotional arc that each character goes on throughout the scene. And it's, I mean, it's, it's hard to describe. So, like I said, Ben Affleck and from fucking Mallrats. Yeah. The guy that had sex with people in the ass mm -hmm. from mall rats <laughs> that worked at Fashionable Mail and Matt Damon, dumb lawyer <laughs> in The Rainmaker, wrote this movie. Yeah, that's so crazy that these two dudes could write a movie and, and then... 27 
and 25 years old. Yeah. And I'm blown away. The writing of this, this, this is the best written movie I've seen maybe in my lifetime. Yeah. How long is that? Who's to say? <laughs> but, but it's, like I said, like I said, there are like four or five scenes in this movie that I'd put each individual one of them up against fucking Chinatown, The Godfather, scenes from each of these movies as one of the best scenes in the latter half of the 20th century. And there are five of them in okay, this Okay, let's hear what these five scenes are then. Well, I'm trying to remember exactly all of them. Okay. For one, uh, the scene that you really responded to where he's he he gets into a fight so let's 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 set it up I, okay if you haven't seen this movie just go see yeah, the movie yeah for sure we you both must. we both love it it's 100% worth going out to the movies this is this is the a movie you go to the theater to see not because it's a big spectacle or anything like that but this is a movie experience you go and see this movie and afterwards you talk about it with your friends it's mm-hmm. a it's a whole thing go and see the movie if you haven't seen the movie and you're still listening to this you're insane see but we didn't get to anyway. uh experience the second part of that we had to wait to talk about it till now which is why he can fuck with me and be like oh i didn't like the movie right it's like i all i, I wanted to, to see, talk about it. i wanted to see how crazy you would go because it's so <laughs> obviously a fantastic movie. It's the best movie we've seen this year. Yes. I'd put this up against Tarantino movies. I'd, as far as original dialogue, I'd put it up against anybody, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. Uh, I mean, it's not as stylized, dialogue-wise. It's not as stylized as like a Tarantino thing. But they do a lot of stuff. First of all, it takes place in Boston, which I guess Damon and Affleck are from Boston. Okay. Uh, but I don't think they're from Southie, which is Boston is, uh, for those of you that don't know a lot about Boston, Boston's one of the most racially divided cities in the world hmm. and one of the most class divided cities in the world. Okay. There's the area where, you know, MIT and and Harvard is and everything, like, you know, kind of north of the city and stuff like that. The northern suburbs, Cambridge, you know, and everything like that. And then down into the northern part of the city where it's the upper crust kind of people, right? And then there's Southie and other parts like that, you know, where they talk like, where they talk like they're doing this movie, hey, you know, go fuck yourself, <laughs> you know, that, that kind of, it's sort of stereotypical, but it's, that exists. Yeah. Right. And then racially, we don't, this movie doesn't, doesn't, uh, tackle that at all but it's no. also an enormously racially divided city there's a lot of divides <clears throat> in boston i don't think there's a single person of color in the whole movie no no which is normal for boston because they don't i mean i'm not saying that no black and white people mix in the boston area but it's detroit's also a fairly racially divided city or or the area of detroit and mm-hmm. the suburbs are racially divided boston's very similar to that and obviously there are people that reach across lines on both sides. But, you know, it's not unusual for a group of guys like this to not really come into contact with many black people because of the divisions. Um, so that's an interesting backdrop to the story. And then the orphan, Will Hunting is an orphan. 
this is a guy that, that is ostensibly a genius, and he was abandoned by his family he, and abused by his foster, by foster, foster parents and stuff. And he has a lot of trauma mixed in with this genius. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the backdrop. He meets Minnie Driver, who's lovely, and a fantastic actress. And the chemistry between her and Matt Damon is awesome. They work really well together. There's a lot of trust there, acting-wise, you can see. Mm-hmm. And uh, Matt Damon also works really well with Robin Williams. So th- those two individual relationships, him and her, and then him and him, are the soul yeah. of this movie. And, to a lesser degree... Him with, with Ben Skarsgård, too. Oh, sorry. Yeah, a little bit with Stellan Skarsgård. But I meant more him and Affleck. I mm-hmm. mean, there there's definitely some tension between him and Stellan Skarsgård. But there's a lot of shorthand of we've been best friends for a long time between Affleck yeah. and Damon. <laughs> and it comes through in the performance. So there doesn't have to be a lot there. But, yeah, I would say those relationships are the kind of the crux of the movie. But, so a lot of those scenes that I'm talking about come from different points in those relationships. The first one is when he's kind of sort of confessing to Minnie Driver. There, She's saying that she's leaving. She needs to go to med school in Stanford in California. Right. They're in Boston, obviously. And she wants him to go with her. And it's... All this fear and, you know, he's used to being rejected by everybody. He doesn't know if he trusts her yet. Mm -hmm. And all of this is coming out and it's like explosive and sad. And there's a lot of emotions going through this scene. And so that's one of them. I mean, what do you, you seemed to react to that scene. What did you think of that scene? I, like, throughout the whole movie, the thing that struck me about her character was that she's very brave. Oh, yeah. And that's one of the things that I I saw in this scene was just, like, I mean, this guy is having an emotional meltdown, pushed her up against the wall, pounding the wall, screaming in her face, and she just loves him so much, and she just wants to convey that to him, and she's not backing away or any Like, she's just right there, like, I love you. So I thought that was amazing. She's um, also an orphan. Mm, I, I think you know, only her father died. I don't think that both her parents were dead. She said she inherited the money. When her father died. Right. If her mother was alive, she wouldn't inherit the money. But she only talked about her dad. I think that her mother died or left before. I don't think her mother was in the picture. I think the father died when she was 13. And since she was already... Fairly old. They, the courts probably allowed her to stay in the house with a guardian, like a butler or something like that, an adult that could care for her because they apparently had a lot of money. She went to. She said she went to the schools. Like she was probably in a boarding school. I think was what she was saying. Yeah, that, and that's fine. Like, but they probably because she had money, they probably allowed that instead right. of her had. She had. He was abandoned. She suffered a loss, so that's a difference. She had money, he didn't. Mm-hmm. She was allowed to essentially choose where she went and everything. But that, I guess that privilege or whatever you want to call it, 
that afforded her inability to be brave in a way that he's not yet ready to be brave. Yeah. Because, like you said, she lost her father. And he, like he says, you know, he says it about the money and stuff. And she's like, do you think that, I, you know, I wouldn't trade, uh, you know, all that money for one right. more day with him? And she says, you know, but that's what happened. That's my life. And I have to deal with it. So like you said, that that it speaks a lot to to her bravery, her her ability to kind of she's much more mentally sound and put, yeah. and put together than yes. he is. She is his end goal mm-hmm. as far as emotional and mental health. Not exactly, but that's kind of the template of that's where he wants to get to. He wants to get to a place where he can say that mm-hmm. these things happened, but this is my life and I deal and, and we move forward. There's a lot of trauma for everyone involved in the story. All oh, the, yeah. All the major characters involved in the story. There's a lot of trauma and there's a lot of how do you deal with your trauma and do you hide or do you move on? And there are varying levels of people dealing with their trauma. Sean, the uh, the, um, the psychologist, the, the therapist. Mm-hmm. Robin he, Williams. He has trauma too. Oh yeah, his wife died and she was sick for a long time. And he deals with it better than Will Hunting deals with it. <laughs> not that much. <laughs> but he also is not dealing with it great. No. Mini Driver is definitely, if you're ranking, is definitely on top. Well, she's also like, she lost her dad when she was 13. Right. She's got to be like 20, 21. That was several years ago. She's had a lot wrong. of time to yeah. process that trauma. And if she's been well protected in life since right. that point, I mean, yeah, she probably has dealt with her stuff. She's had, she's had advantages for sure. But just as like a character and as a template, she's where they want to get to. Then um, another one of the scenes... Kind of the second big scene with Robin Williams, where <laughs> the first big scene is, so Damon gets arrested for because they they beat they they just stuck. it's so weird they they're twenty year old guys hanging out at a kid's like little league game yeah and just, they don't have kids there but I they're never just thought about they're that. just cheering on these kids why were they it's there so weird <laughs> but i think it's just because bostonians are so fucking sports fanatics right that it's just like that's entertaining to them too okay i th- like and they're rooting for their home team and everything because they're rooting for the kids they're like mm-hmm. they're not they're not being dicks they're not being disrespectful or anything. They're like, take two, Tommy. You know, they're, they're cheering like they're watching the fucking Red Sox right. play. And I think that's kind of what, and it's sweet. And I, it's either one of two things. One, they, they couldn't afford to, do, <laughs> to like do the actual Red Sox. Or two, it's just going to show like how fanatic they are about sports and stuff. Is it possible that they just didn't explain that one of them has a little brother on the team or something? I mean, like, I don't think so. No. I think it's just they're that's just how they are, right? Okay, it's something to do. Sure, in Southie. So anyway, um, the first big scene is they they well they so they he gets in trouble because they they see these guys and he's like, oh, he used to beat me up in 
in elementary school, in kindergarten. Mm -hmm. Kindergarten. So while they're driving by, they're like, let's beat the fuck out of them. (laughs) So for no reason, they just stop and they just beat the shit out of this guy and all his friends. And his friends, who did nothing. His friends didn't do shit. And he didn't do anything since kindergarten. And that's the kind of stereotypical, like, I'm sure not everyone in Southeast, some fucking Irish tough that's like, right. oh, let's fucking roll up on these guys and beat their asses. Go down to Harvard. <laughs> we'll go down to Bar Harbor. Fuck them. You know, like, I'm sure not everyone's like that. But, you know. You these know, characters are. It does happen. I mean, it's not like it never happens. Stereotypes are usually blown out of proportion, but they usually also start from somewhere. Right. Um, but anyway, so he, he's in trouble with the law. That was funny, though. I'm sorry. I couldn't help but laugh when he just walks up oh, to no. the guy like, and we hey, remember And we went to me. together. And then just starts, just starts pummeling him. him. Yeah. yeah. This guy must have been so surprised. Like, what the <laughs> fuck? Um, so the whole, and he solves this big equation, which I think is in a lot of the commercials. So people should know that even if they haven't seen it. Yeah, he's the janitor at MIT. They put out an equation on a board in a hall for to challenge the students, and he solved it. They wisely don't get into what the math is at all. No. <laughs> because everyone would be lost. Right. So they, uh, basically, the terms of his release that Stellan Skarsgård secures for him is... He works on the math stuff because he's a genius, and he has to go to therapy because obviously he has problems. He's been arrested for assault right. a bunch of times, and all the charges have been thrown out because he cites obscure law precedences. He got away with grand theft auto by citing something about... Buggy uh, and carriage yeah. laws from, from 1870. <laughs> it was ridiculous. But, I mean, it's it's definitely fucking entertaining. Right. So, the first big scene is they, they do a bunch of different therapists, and he fucks with all of them. Mm. They, the one thing that's really great about this movie is you get to know, especially in this scene, you get to know exactly who Will Hunting is. His exact character. Mm-hmm. He's a genius, and... He he's so smart he can fucking figure out a way to fuck with all these people. Every one every uh, therapist he brings in, he reads whatever book they wrote mm-hmm. to try to get at him. What bothers me about this though is there's different kinds of intelligence. Yeah, and he's obviously lacking emotional intelligence in for sure. You know everything else about him, yet he's able to pick these people apart. I mean, that's not the same kind of genius that handles math and science and, you know, everything. But, I mean, he he does. He does it all. Well, yeah, I mean, he doesn't do it all. But, yes, it is. He is written almost as if he's Superman, essentially. I agree. It's a little overblown. But uh, the first big scene with Robin Williams is he's he keeps... It's like word salad. <laughs> he's going through a ton of different topics because he's probing. Mm-hmm. He's looking for a weakness. And finally, when he says, maybe you married the wrong woman, he gets an emotional response out of Robin Williams. And he gets, like you said, he gets this little smile on his face. And it's like he looks so happy that he's found this. And then he keeps poking at it. And Robin Williams strangles him. You know, this 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 bothers me. Like, Rob, like for the sake of the movie, their relationship, his performance, everything is fantastic. But I just need to throw out there, 
that it's totally inappropriate and that no therapist worth anything would actually relate to this person in the way that he does. I think that they get around that by saying he's not a therapist. He teaches. He teaches psychology. And 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 so he's he's a professor, but he doesn't have a lot of experience with therapy. He just knows. So I think that's how they get around it is he's not a professional therapist. He's not currently, but he was. I mean, he talks about he took six years off of therapy when he was taking care of his wife. I thought he was saying he took six years off of teaching. I thought maybe maybe you're right. I, don't I think that's why he's not as respected as he was mm. because he wasn't, you know, you have to keep publishing and stuff. Right. Like you have to keep doing the research and everything to be on at the top of the, the list. And I think he thought, I mean, I could be wrong. We'd have to, I'd, I would love to see it again. Yes. But the second big scene with him is after that, when they have a quiet moment in the park mm-hmm. and he's basically like, you know, you came in and you fucking like ruined my life or whatever by saying this stuff and I couldn't sleep and everything. And I thought about it. And as soon as I discovered, or as soon as I realized one thing that I was able to, I didn't think about you anymore and I was able to sleep. And he goes on to this long diatribe about how Will is just a fucking kid mm-hmm. and he doesn't know anything. Like he knows all the book stuff he could quote this and that he could tell you, he's like you know what you don't know about love you you if i asked you about love you quote me sonnets you talk about this all this clinical you know stuff and everything he's like but you don't know what it's you don't know what it's like to lay next to a woman year after year and like he goes through all this stuff and while he's doing it this helps too the camera's super close on him and we don't know how will's reacting mm-hmm. to this and the whole time i'm thinking show us his fucking face like i want to know like I'm sitting here like, you know, with my mouth open and everything. I'm like, I want to know how is he being smelled like what? And and Van Zant just beautifully starts to slowly pan back the camera and just give us the the barest glimpse of the side of his face and, and his and his reaction, you know, as as it, it goes on. But still, obviously, keeping Williams as the, the focus of the scene. And the writing of this, especially from these two young people, Mm -hmm. the writing of this, it's so beautiful and spot on. It's it's a fantastic scene. It's one of the best soliloquies that I've seen on film in a long time. Mm -hmm. It is. It's an amazing scene. And uh, and yeah, so it's. it's fantastic. That's that's another one. That's another of the four or five that I would put up there. Okay. Another scene with the two of them towards the end. I think you know. I mean, that's that's on the list too. Yeah. I think that's the the the. I've heard even people say you know the it's not your fault, and that's the scene we're talking about. That that whole thing with <laughs> with four words just repeated over and over again, is a a complete character arc. Yeah. From beginning to end. And again, it's it's a beautiful scene. Mm-hmm. It's not your fault, repeated over and over. 
it's a fucking cheat though and it's not the way real therapy would work because it's not your fault would need to be repeated over and over over years yeah to get that kind of a actual impact yeah i mean it's not i I don't know i i I think it's movie shorthand though Mm -hmm. this is one of those this is one of those problems when you see a movie that is touches on a subject that you study intently and know very well. Sometimes it the stuff that that needs to be compressed or changed or whatever f- to make the movie magic because movies aren't real life bother you because you're like, well, that's not real. But nothing in movies is real. Right. I mean, it's still amazing. Don't get me wrong. Right. It, it, I I still made me cry. I mean, it's a it's a great. It's just. But yeah, I, I agree. It, it is. It's a bit, and we don't know how long they've been working together. Right. He was supposed to serve two years. At the end of the movie, he's released. They say. So did they cut it into a year? Did he basically do a year of therapy, a year kind of probation thing? That's my guess. I think it was probably a little bit less than that because they didn't have a twentieth birthday, and he was released on his twenty-first birthday. Right. Um, and also, it didn't seem like he was dating Minnie Driver that long. But for a while, longer than than it would be, longer than it would seem in, yeah. in movie times. But anyway, so that scene would be another one of the ones. And I can see now, and I get it, but I can see Saturday Night Live or comedians or whatever. That's going to be a joke. The it's not your fault thing. Mm. That's going to be the punchline of, of a lot of jokes, partially for the reason that you said, because it, it is kind of a cheat. Well, but, and you know, it's also highly emotional and, you know, emotions make people uncomfortable. So they're going to make fun of it. Right. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, the, eh. so that's three, the whole, the whole thing's just, I cried so much during this movie. <laughs> well, it's very, it's, it's very emotional. Another thing too. Another great scene that I would put up there is when they're in the bar, when he first meets mm-hmm. Minnie Driver. A more fun scene, yes. And he goes through all the, there's, uh, as she calls him, a Michael Bolton clone, which mm-hmm. is hilarious. Mm-hmm. He's he's trying to make Ben Affleck's character feel like an asshole. This highlights the, the class divide mm-hmm. in Boston. They touch a lot on the, that class divide. Yeah. Not on the racial divide, but they do touch on the class divide. That highlights that. That's sort of symbolic of that. And, you know, here comes this dude basically showing that intelligence can, to an extreme level like his, can be a, can have a leveling effect. Mm-hmm. Because he comes in and makes this dude that's studied at Harvard feel like an asshole. As he should. By, yeah, exactly. Uh, but that scene's great, you know, combined with the how do you like them apples yes. punchline, which will probably also be a joke <laughs> thing that people do. But that's, so that's four scenes. But that's another reason why I say Minnie Driver's character is so brave. What, what the hell was her name again? Skylar. Yeah, Skylar. I love that name. You know, she fucking comes up to him in the bar, like... Hey, you're an idiot. I've been right. sitting there for 45 minutes waiting for you to come talk to me. And then she gives him her number. Yep. She asks him out. Like, yeah. I don't know. I just, 
This turn if for the romantic part of this movie, it's not a comedy. There are funny parts of it, but it's not a romantic mm-hmm. comedy. It's a drama. Uh, that the romantic part of this movie subverts a lot of expectations, like that, where she comes up to him, she asks him out. At the end, she's leaving. She's getting on a plane to California. He's sitting by I don't know the Narragansett or one of the fucking rivers that run through Boston, Boston, and just thinking of everything. And she's, you can see it's very subtle, mm-hmm. but she's looking around as she's boarding. There's they show two or three scenes of it, and each in each scene she's kind of looking around. She's waiting for him to movie style bust in there and, right. and declare his love and everything. And it doesn't happen. That would happen in other movies. But it doesn't happen in this movie. He even had the audacity to call her. Like, in between when they basically broke up and when she's leaving, to call her. And then when she says, you know, I love you, he's just like, okay, take care. Yeah. Like, why are you calling her? Leave her alone then. She says to him in the big fight scene, the one I, mm-hmm. the one of the ones I put up there, that she's like, say I don't love you. Tell me you don't love me, and I, I won't call you. They are whatever, and I and won't be in your life. He says I don't love you, and the way she breaks down and cry. I mean, Mini Driver, Oscar worthy. Mm-hmm. Like the way she absolutely collapses. It's fantastic. Um. And then, like you said, he calls her, and she's like, I love you. And he basically says, yeah, well, have a good night at life or whatever. Like, what was the point? He's a, Because he wants to reach out. He wants the connection, but he's afraid. Fear plays an enormous role in his life. Which is why she had to be the one to ask him out. He never would have done it. Correct. And he, because he won't take any chances. Mm-hmm. The Stellan Skarsgård setting him up for all these different jobs because of his incredible genius, even though he doesn't have a degree, but he's that kind of a brain. And he makes a joke out of all of them, kind of like he does with the, with the therapists, because he's afraid. Yeah. He's afraid to take any chances at all because he's afraid of failure. It's easy to hang out with, with the guys he hangs out with and drink every day and go back to his shitty apartment and work menial jobs and not not use his brain. He has a gift. What if he fails? What if he's not as smart as he thinks he is? He doesn't want to challenge himself at all. Right. And yeah, that's that's a big part of his character. And learning to deal with that is a big part of his character arc. And similarly, Robin Williams, you know, somewhat too. He doesn't. He doesn't take chances. Yeah, not as much for fear, but more just out of like not like despair, almost like mourning. Yeah, he doesn't want to. His wife died. The love of his life died, and he wants to. He wants to withdraw from life completely. Yeah, she's gone, so he's just like, okay, I'm just done. He's just waiting to join her. That's basically his Ex- life. Exactly. And that's what it seems like. And they help each other, obviously. Yeah. The that and that's that's why it has to be 
not a traditional therapy thing. Well, yeah, because a, a good therapist, you wouldn't really know anything about them. And he couldn't affect him in the way he, like, uh, Hunt, Will Hunting couldn't affect him the way he does mm-hmm. if it was a professional relationship. Yeah, and like all those other therapists before him, <laughs> there's no way he could connect to somebody like that. No. So. And, uh, yeah, it also wouldn't have worked for him. Yeah. They had to go get Sean because he's the only one it could have worked with. Yeah. He had to be unprofessional in order for it to work. But, yeah, I... I I can't say enough about this movie. I mean, fantastic. So amazing. I definitely want to go see it again. I mean, we go to the movies like every freaking week and I still want to go see it again. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Just, it, it absolutely blew me away. I didn't have, like, I didn't have a ton of expectation necessarily. I didn't think it was going to be horrible, but I didn't, like, I didn't think much about it. And uh, I was like, oh, yeah, uh, math genius janitor, okay. Whatever. But man, I, and to think that these two guys wrote this movie. Yeah. Well, what what are they going to do in Hollywood? You know what I mean? Like, because they're both good actors, too. Right. Well, yeah, there's like they wrote it and then they did such a fantastic job, like bringing it to life. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, it's and it, maybe they won't write anything else. I don't know. Maybe that maybe they'll just be actors because maybe this story was super personal to them because it's Boston and, you know, they. They have, you know, it's their kind of childhood or whatever. But, I mean, just a fantastically written movie. And, yeah, I don't know. That um, that scene when Ben Affleck's, like, the best part of my day is that 10 seconds when... And that's the one I'm on the fence about. Hmm. As far as the, the best uh, scene. Okay. That, that one is the one I'm like, maybe that one I would... When include. he actually gets there? Cause, yeah, yeah. I mean, like when he's on the porch and he and he finally realizes that he's gone. Like he's looking mm-hmm. in the windows and he realizes he's gone. Just like the emotions that just go over his face. There's it's, sadness. There's joy. Yeah. There's a lot. Yeah. Everything. Confusion at first. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. It, it's it's a great and like I said, that's the one. I you know that's the one I'm on the fence about. It's a great scene. Is it up there with the other ones? I don't know. My my other question, though, it's like, okay, he turned down all these jobs. He even had accepted a job that then he ends up saying, never mind. Right. T- tell him I went to California to go see about a girl or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, how is he going to do anything? Like, he doesn't have a degree, and he won't have this guy helping him set up all these meetings and stuff, telling people how brilliant he is. Well, here's the thing. So... I thought about that, and it's like, you know, is Minnie Driver still going to be single or whatever? Yeah, like, is she waiting for him out there? But I I choose to believe that they will have a happy life. I hope so. Uh, now, he could call Stellan Skarsgård and be like, hey, can you, you know, set up some stuff for me out here? Or... He probably doesn't have connections out there. Well, maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. He the dude won a Fields Medal. I mean, mm. he's got lots of connections, but she's got a lot of money. Yeah, that's true. So he could apply to Stanford. I mean, he'll blow away any standardized test. That's true. So he could apply to Stanford and get a degree and do anything he wants from there. So I think with the kind because of, like I mean I don't know if they're 
any if there's anyone with the kind of genius that he has. Maybe there are a couple out there, but they they talk about Einstein. Not even Einstein had the level of intelligence that they depict from this guy. Yeah. Like, obviously Einstein was a genius and creative because he thought about physics in a way lots of other people didn't. But not even he would be quoting history books and photographic memory. Like, all, like they give him the best parts of, like, every genius. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, like I said, I don't even know if anyone could be as smart as they depict him. But if they if they could, they can write their own. I mean, with a brain like that, you can write your own ticket yeah, anywhere. That's true. You don't you don't need connections because immediately anybody at Stanford that knows anything is going to be like, holy fuck, and they're going to want a part of it. They're going to want to be a part of yeah. it too, just like Stellan Skarsgård was. I felt bad for Skarsgård's character. Yeah, uh, Ger- Gerald Lambeau. <laughs> yeah, because he was a genius and a mathematical genius. He won the Fields Medal, which is essentially, as they say, the Nobel Prize for mathematics. I think there is a Nobel Prize for mathematics too, but um, but they it's it's a very prestigious award in mathematics. Not many people win it, and but he's you know he's teaching at MIT, which is great. That's a prestigious position, but, you know, he's not leading a research team or anything like that. He's probably, it it seems like there's some, some failure on his part. He, and he feels inferior. He, he, at no point is he ever, does he ever want to use this, this kid for his own purposes? Yeah. Like everything seems super altruistic. But he also admits some jealousy. Well, yeah, it's obvious of uh, this kid's intellect. He just he looks so sad. (laughs) At one point, he says, "You know, I some days I wish I'd never met you. That I wouldn't know that someone like you existed." (laughs) It would be awful to think that you're like the best, and then find somebody who puts you so below them that's the nature of life though you know in every aspect whether it be sports uh you know uh academic pursuits whatever writing acting eventually you won't be the best anymore that's just the nature of nature of life and you kind of have to accept it you know but there will never be anyone better than us (laughs) doing this Right. So, Carol, tell the people where they can tell us how how great we are. You can write us at latefee1994awol.com. Check out our website at www.rogerlatefee.com. And share the tapes with your friends. All right, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.